Good morning, everyone. Welcome. My name is Keith Brault. I'm one of the pastors here at Church of the Incarnation, and it's wonderful to be together with you all this morning and to continue looking at the Psalms together. And this morning, we're going to be looking at not so much a particular Psalm, but a theme that runs through all of the Psalms, kind of like a key ingredient in a certain kind of ethnic food that just kind of tends to show up in almost all the dishes, no matter what you're cooking. And it's the theme of justice. And so we're going to be looking at that this morning. So far in the Psalms, we've seen this honest, gritty um, conveying of um, the psalmists, the, who, the various psalmists who are writing through their gritty circumstances, we see this breadth of emotions. And as we look at them as a whole, and as we weigh them together, I hope that you're catching a glimpse of a God who wants you to draw near to him, who wants you to intimately attach yourself to him. God teaches us to pray through the psalms, and as he does so, he shows up in so many different ways. We see various sides of his nature and different tones that capture our imagination and hopefully connect with us. And we're learning that and hopefully being reassured that no matter what our circumstances, we can draw near to God confidently and plainly speak what is on our hearts and what is on our minds. In Psalm 1 and 2, we saw Yahweh showing up and speaking to us through his word and through his son and saying, blessed are you if you draw near to me and, and draw near through my word and draw near to me by my son. So we see this God who wants us near him. And then we see through sorrow and lament, God wraps himself in tenderness and compassion and patience and seeks to tenderly cover us with the shadow of his wings we see God showing up, um, I, I believe it was Wilson who preached on creation, and we see God showing up as this powerful, creative, brilliant creator of everything who draws us in to praise him and to marvel at his power. When our conscience is troubling us, we see a God who invites us to come and, um, and to receive his mercy and to receive his grace and strength to buttress us, to forgive us, to urge us on. God provides all things. God is a shepherd and a suffering servant. He's a savior and a deliverer. We saw uh, last week, I believe, as Aubrey led us through intimacy, that God is this intimate lover who wants us to come and rest in his arms as John rested on the bosom of Jesus. So God appears in all sorts of ways, inviting us to attach to him with all the complexity and nuance that he created in us. He doesn't leave anything out. And as we open the Psalms this morning and look at this smattering of, of um, this theme of justice that goes, it's on every page of the Psalms. Though there's not a Psalm devoted to it. It's throughout the Psalms as we see the character of God rarely without this attribute associated with it. As we draw near now, we um, will see this aspect of God, this justice um, of God as we see him in another light. So we see God 
and we see the justice of God, first of all, in the fact that God keeps showing up as king. So that's the first place to start. You can't really see God's justice. It would be irrelevant if God preferred justice if first he wasn't this king. And we see him showing up as king over and over. In fact, there are 10 psalms devoted to just focusing exclusively on the kingship of God. They're called enthronement psalms. And we see them in um, Psalms 93 through 100. And then there are a couple of more that get included there usually, Psalm 24 and Psalm 47, but they're explicitly written to identify Yahweh as the king and to call all of creation, not just people, but they're inviting all of creation to stand and recognize and rejoice in this king who upholds everything by the arm of his power. And he's upholding the world that he created just the way he wants to. That's the thing. The king gets to make the rules, right? And so it's important as we see this God as king, right next to it is that he's just. He chooses to uphold the world with justice. That's not always the case as we think of movies or literature, stories, protagonists, or even antagonists. But whoever's in power, they get to make the rules. And sometimes these are good people making the rules. And sometimes these are bad people making the rules. Chapter 93, verse 1, one of these enthronement psalms says, The Lord reigns, he is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established, firm, and secure. So just an example of these psalms that call us to recognize that God is the king, that he's all-powerful, and that he has established everything. So what kind of king is he? What's his platform? What's his agenda that says that the world is established and firm and secure? How is it that way? And this is where we see these words showing up throughout the Psalms. Justice shows up in some form in about 25% of the Psalms. But we see other forms of this word like righteousness and faithfulness, justice. They're kind of all legs to a stool that, that they all hang under this idea of shalom. These, these other words like righteousness and justice, faithfulness, um, loving kindness, they're all there that kind of expound on this idea that, that God created the world with perfect peace and flourishing, holistic, comprehensive flourishing, and that's what he wants to deliver. That's how his throne is established. That's the gift that he wants to give every creature that he's made, regardless of any, um, anything, any differentiations that we might make among ourselves. This is God's intention for every human being equally and all of his created universe. God is therefore a king of justice. So let's just kind of look through this quickly and then we'll get to some applications, some specific ways that we can do this in some ways that maybe we chafe against it. So God is this king specifically of justice. And I'm just going to read a few verses to, to, to kind of hopefully build some momentum around this idea and some clarity around it. In Psalm chapter 89, verses 12 to 14, it says, The north and the south, you have created them. 
Tabor and Hermon, joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm, strong is your hand, high your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. We see that God in chapter, in chapter 82 maintains the rights of the weak and rescues the needy. God protects the innocent in chapter 10. God insists on honest communication, not speaking out of both sides of our mouths in chapter 28. He's peaceable and not bloodthirsty. This is the man of justice in chapter 139 and chapter 11. Justice is not greedy chapters 10 and 73. Goes on to say God's not just putting this righteousness and this justice out there as an idea. It's, it says in chapter 37, uh, verse 28, Yahweh loves justice. He loves it. He gets excited about it. It's not just kind of an offshoot of his character that's not attached to his affections. As you think of God creating the world and and his heart swelling as he observes it to say that this is very good. There's something of his affection in that. That is God, just like a father and children. If, and think of like parents, you who are parents, and you children who aren't parents, think of how your parents must feel at Christmas morning. When they've, mom, there's something good coming out of the kitchen, some smells are coming out of the kitchen, there's stuff under the tree, maybe there are stockings hanging somewhere, and there's this sense, probably in your parents' hearts, that, that they're happy. They're happy that you are going to be happy. They're happy anticipating your joy and your well-being on this morning, that there's a love attached to this provision of justice. And probably if you grew up with siblings, it's not like one kid who's going to get all the presents, right? I hope. Hopefully everyone's getting presents. My parents were so careful about getting us about justice um, when it came to, to Christmas that one of them would accidentally buy something without telling the other one that they were going to do it. And so then they'd have to go get another, my sister, something else. And like it kept ratcheting up. It was good for us. But they were really careful about it. And man, they loved it. My dad's face on Christmas morning, there's nothing like it. He was so happy. The scripture says, God says of himself, I love justice. I love this kind of flourishing. I love when my people are dwelling under the shadow and in the provision of my safety, of my justice. Chapter 111 says that he provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. Here we start to, to see it tipping toward us. It's not just that God created justice and that he loves justice, but he's established it and he's kind of starting to hand it over to us to carry it out with faithfulness and uprightness, to perform his justice this way. And we'll get to that later. In chapter 9, we're called it, to sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned on Zion. 
Tell among the peoples his deeds, for he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Justice isn't a passing thought for God. Justice is this thing that's fixed in his mind so that he will never forget the cry of the afflicted. We tend to forget suffering as soon as it's not right in front of our faces anymore, right? And if we're honest, we, we change the channel on other people's suffering probably faster than we should because it's not comfortable. It took me years of marriage to be able to sit, not comfortably, I wouldn't say that I do it comfortably yet, but, but to be able to sit patiently with my wife when she's crying, especially if it was because of something I did, right? I mean, it's hard to learn that. It's hard to sit with someone else's suffering and to be tender and to be a friend and to be curious and comforting. That's a hard thing to do. Scripture says that God never turns his face away from the afflicted. He never turns his face away from the afflicted. He stays there. Finally, another aspect of um, the justice of God that we see throughout the Psalms is that he's not just phoning it in. He didn't just establish it and walk away from it and hope for the best. It says repeatedly through the Psalms that he's going to come personally to execute perfect justice. Whatever we've thrown out of whack, he's going to come and fix it. Chapter 96, verses 11 to 13. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Why? Why all this noise? Why all this gladness? Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. And he does. He does. When Jesus comes, when God comes, when Yahweh shows up and sets foot here among us and walks among us, he walks into the tabernacle or the, into one of the synagogues on a Sabbath and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. When Jesus came, he came in justice. He came to begin this new age of the kingdom of God breaking out in the world and restoring things to the way that God on his throne created them to be, intends them to be, and will ultimately make them once again to be. God's fundamental purpose for reigning is to be the king of justice. Justice, if we think about it this way, is like the soil um, the soil of Yahweh's shalom. It's the soil out of which Yahweh's shalom grows. 
So people and institutions and cultures that violate God's justice in any way, that poison that soil in any way, are committing high treason. And next, we'll consider how the Psalms force us to see it. They force us to see injustice. They force us to see the injustices all around us. One man whose book I highly recommend, I believe that it's been recommended throughout the series, um, is a man named David Taylor. And he's written a book called Open and Unafraid. Is that right? Yeah. Open and Unafraid. And he writes the following. The psalmists pray repeatedly for justice because they understand that a world full of broken people, dark forces, and harsh conditions generates injustice everywhere and always. In the Psalms, there is no true worship without justice, no faithful prayer that leaves out justice, and no genuine faith that takes justice less seriously than God takes it. There is no account of human beings in the Psalms that allows justice to remain a concern only of other people rather than of all humanity. We would rather not stare long at injustice. I think that's human nature. We have a limited amount of energy. We have a limited amount of compassion and empathy. We have a lot to do. We're busy. And it takes time and it takes emotional energy, if we're honest, to sit with someone else's pain. Many of us can do that. With God's help, all of us can and do that. But it's not natural to us, is it? And so I think, like so many things, when we get to justice in the Psalms, it's, it's easier for us to just keep moving on till we find something that connects more immediately with us, with our circumstances. If you aren't poor or suffering or afflicted somehow, it's easier to move on to something that's going to hit you right where you live rather than sitting and thinking about those in the community. We would rather not think about injustice, but these psalms do keep us honest. There are other reasons, I think, that it's uncomfortable for us to think long about justice. It's not just our privilege and the fact that we can't necessarily identify with widows or orphans or the poor or resident aliens who come up over and over and over again. They are the quartet of the vulnerable, as many commentators call them, and, and they're the objects of most of the discussion of justice and injustice in the Psalms. It's not just that. It's not just our privilege. It's the enlightenment, I think, philosophy that we've all grown up in that makes us all think individually about ourselves. Maybe it's even parts of the Reformation theology that would, um, that would condition us to be uncomfortable with too much talk about justice without getting quickly to mercy. So maybe we pull vault over justice as a human condition and injustice as a human condition because we jump too quickly to thinking about it in theological terms, in terms of the atonement. So that we're thinking, well, I, I don't have anything to do with God's justice. Jesus took care of that on the cross. And I want to get to something that, that tells me about mercy. Interestingly, mercy is mentioned half as often as justice in the Psalms. I'm not saying that that atonement stuff isn't true. 
Thank God it is. And stick around. It's like throughout our, you know, Eucharistic prayer that we're going to do in just a moment. It's good news. It's good news. The death of Christ enabled the veil of the curtain to be torn from top to bottom. That is true. And that is the justice of God poured out. The justice of God that Jesus, um, that Jesus endured so that we might be free. But if we get there too quickly, we skip over the grit of the Psalms and we skip over our brothers and we skip over what Paul writes, that when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer together. We lose the way that God has so fundamentally woven into these prayers for us to be not just sensitized to injustice, but to be drawn into it and to come alongside our brothers and sisters who are in different circumstances than we are and join with them in their suffering and to fellowship with them. When one part of the body is afflicted, the other parts of the body fly into immediate work, right? If I cut one arm, then my brain is, and it goes to my brain that my arm is cut then my brain starts telling my feet to go to the cabinet where we keep band-aids and my brain tells my other hand to put some stuff on it to clean it and to bandage it. I mean, the whole body gets called into action. When one part of the body is suffering and it goes to the head who is Christ in a functioning body, the head then starts to marshal all the other parts of the body to come alongside and to help. That's what the Psalms do we might rather not think long about injustice that don't immediately apply to us. But the Psalms keep us honest. They keep us as part of the body, as living members of the body of the Son. Chapter 9, verse 11. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds, for he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. That's an example of a psalm that might be easy for us or a verse that might be easy for us to get past. He who avenges blood is mindful of them. No one in my family has had their blood spilled because of injustice that I know of. This is not a thing I grew up with. My dad was in the military and he had some difficulties there, but he volunteered to do that. That doesn't connect with me. He who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. It's interesting though, it connected with Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson wrote, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just. And that his justice cannot sleep forever. Interestingly, perhaps it's for verses like this. He who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Verses like that that are all over the Psalms. That call all of us to feel that and to do something about it. Maybe that's one of the reasons that in 1807 when the slave Bible was published, this, not just some 
Exodus and some of the things that Paul wrote, some of the obvious things that we would all think, oh yeah, of course, that would have to be taken out of a slave Bible. The whole book of Psalms got taken out of the slave Bible. You can't have the Psalms without justice. We can't sing and pray without justice. A recent survey done by Christianity Today of the top 25 worship songs, there's one passing reference to justice. 25 songs. The top ones, the ones that we choose to sing, the ones that we like. The ones that we like, the most popular, there are zero references to the poor or poverty. The top 25, there are zero references to widows, refugees, or the oppressed. It doesn't mean that these songs aren't being written. It just means that we don't like to sing them. They're not popular. But singing and praying justice psalms is one of God's key strategies for transforming us, for renewing us into his image, to perform his justice with faithfulness and uprightness. I'm gonna leave you with seven psalms that you can go to over the next uh, seven days and spend time in these. Again, these aren't dedicated to justice, but justice is laced throughout these psalms. So I encourage you to spend time, and when you do get to one of those lumps of justice that's there embedded in the psalm, stay with it. And if you can't immediately identify it, think of those who can in your family or in your community, in our world, and intercede for them. Chapter 9, 10, 11, 28, 73, 82, and 139. The attention that the Church of the Incarnation gives to justice collectively is one of the things I love so dearly about this church. I am so grateful for the ways that this component of our life together uh, has been prominent in the founding of our church and in the discussions about our vision and, and even what we require of members. You know, we want you to come to worship on Sunday we ask that you be part of a small group. We ask that you find some way to pitch in um, with our work together. But the fourth thing is get near the poor. That's one of the four things. And if you don't live near the poor or work near the poor, then find a way to volunteer in some way of serving the poor. We aren't wanting to sit on our hands and flip through, so to speak, the, these passages of our community and get to something that's more relevant immediately to us or, or savory. So I encourage you, if that's not a thing that you're doing, please come talk to me or one of the deacons um, or, any, or anyone, and, and let's figure out things that we can do together. If you're interested, if ever sensed a calling to be a deacon, this is another way that we are looking in the coming years to build out more ministry from the, the center of the church into the community that we might interpret the work 
of um, serving the poor to the, the church collectively. So please come and talk to me about that. We have so many people in our church who are actively paving the way for all of us to be involved. Levi Fuller and a handful of folks recently, um, last Thursday, there were 320 people at a Faith in Action event trying to find transportation and childcare for the poor in our community so that especially working moms can not just stay in opening level jobs but can start to build careers and ultimately build wealth and provide sustainably for their family and for themselves. So, as we go through the Psalms, I encourage you, I encourage myself to slow down to slow down and and when we get to these parts that we can't immediately relate to, if you can't, some of us can. But if you get to these and you can't relate immediately to it, slow down and pray and slow down and ask God how you can help, how you can grow in your affection and your love for justice and that we can all be breaking a sweat together to help bring the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.